Good morning. We continue our uh, study of what it means to be a, a growing church, which is about internal as well as external growth. In a groaning world, uh, we started this in the midst of the pandemic a year or so ago, and continue as we come out of, Lord willing, that season. Uh, but we are looking at Acts chapter 18, verses 23 through uh, Chapter 21, verse 14, also known as Paul's third missionary journey. <clears throat> and the focus, as we started to unpack last week, the focus is really more geographical, more than about Paul. It's about the things that are going on in the city of Ephesus and in a couple of other places, but particularly in Ephesus, the coastal city in modern-day Turkey over in the Mediterranean. And this issue of how the gospel, the good news about Jesus, makes an impact even in a city that if you looked at it at the time, you would say there's no way these people are going to change. There's no way things are ever going to be different. And God comes with power. And that growth is about internal transformation. It's about numbers. It's about transformation. It's about what God does. And how does it happen? Well, that's what we're going to see as we look at Acts chapter 18. See that growth sometimes comes quickly, sometimes slowly, but it's always, always and only with a powerful community that God works in and through. So read with me Acts chapter 18. We're going to read verses 18:23 through 19:7 in this portion of. God's gracious word. Acts 18.23 And having spent some time there, he, that is Paul, left and passed successively through the Galatian region and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. And now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus and he was mighty in the Scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus. Being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila... Him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the Scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. It happened... 
that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, no, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. And there were in all about 12 men. And this is God's Word. Father, we thank You for Your Word, that it is trustworthy and true. Would You meet us here today? Would You grow us? Mature us? Multiply us? Transform us and speak through us, we pray. Trusting in Your Holy Spirit's power because we come in the name of Jesus. Amen. I was thinking again some more about those massive trees I mentioned last week. Uh, those big trees that have been around in this area for uh, many of them over a hundred years. And how you know, they started off as just like little saplings, right? Maybe like a little acorn or one of those little seed pods fluttering in the ground or something of that nature. They started small and they maybe grew quickly. Like that area of my yard in the back corner where the leaves all decompose and we never get to them and those little seed pods fall. And the next thing you know, you've got like a garden of maple trees or something. Have you, have you had that happen where you just all of a sudden, almost overnight, just this explosion of growth and little saplings coming up? And over time though, if they're able to take root, they're going to grow almost imperceptibly. You know, they, they, they spurt up sometimes, but sooner or later, you know, those, those will be trees that can uproot sidewalks, that can crush your drains and break your pipes, even, even erode the foundations of strong buildings. And it's interesting to think about that because those are somewhat destructive ideas. But if you think about what God is doing in and through you, the church, it's very similar. And what he is doing is sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, building up a community that undermines the foundation of everything else that people would put their confidence and trust in apart from a true and lasting foundation found only in the truth of God. And that's the picture that I have in mind as we come to this passage of, of how do you make an impact? How do we not give up in a world that just seems so broken, so far from God? And maybe we remember better days, or maybe we're just nostalgic or whatever, but it, it just always seems like things are hard and challenging. And how do we keep 
from giving up. Well, this passage is really helpful. It's been helpful to me this week. Because as I think about a powerful community and, and what it means to grow in a groaning world, one of the things it, it means in this passage is perseverance. To, to not give up. If you think about those trees just slowly growing, slowly, you can't, you can't even see it. Maybe, you know, maybe you remember those days when you first came to faith and you just were growing by leaps and bounds and now you think, am I even growing? I don't feel like I'm having an impact. And circumstances are such a hard judge. So where do we go? Well, let's turn to this portion of God's Word and see that, that, that really a growing church in a groaning world makes an impact when the Holy Spirit works in and through it. And we become a community of basically character and content. And that's what I want us to focus on today. Character and content. Now, first of all, character transformation. A community that's about character transformation. And that means we have to have a connection to power. Character transformation is about a connection to power, to ability, to capacity, to capability. That, that's in view here. Look at uh, just chapter 19, verse 1. It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. You know, Paul comes across there in Ephesus some disciples. He had traveled through, it says, the upper country, uh, and in that part of the world, uh, in those days, the Roman province there was called Asia, kind of most of Turkey as we would know it today, on the west side, looking at it from above. The upper country was the hill country that the main road would travel through, and so that Paul came on that road, departing from the way he had been on, as he wanted to do, you remember back in chapter 16, verse 6, when the Holy Spirit wouldn't let him go to the left, down to Asia, or to the right, up to Bithynia, but said, no, you go on to Macedonia. Well, here, the Holy Spirit allows Paul to go into Asia, and specifically to the principal city, the big city of that part of the world, this port city of Ephesus. And he arrives there. While Apollos, who we had just read about at the end of chapter 18, crossed the Mediterranean in a little uh, big inlet there, between the, the peninsula that we would call Greece today, and Paul's over here, from your perspective it would be Paul over here uh, on the coast, and then over here is Greece, in those days they called the southern part of it Achaia, and he's in Corinth. And actually I just noticed this this morning, that Paul in Ephesus and Apollos over there in Corinth, they're, they're actually closer than we are to Pittsburgh. Right? Pittsburgh's about 300 miles or something. They were about 200 miles apart, due west, this big body of water in the way. 
separated by a journey of many days or, or hundreds of miles if you had to go uh, around the top. So they're there in these places, and Paul sees these disciples. He comes across them. It doesn't say how he found them or anything like that. And he says to them, verse 2, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? It's kind of a jumping right into things. Like, what, what happened? What led him to ask this question? What was going on? How did he find these people? It doesn't say, but it's, it's clearly implied that, that there was something not quite right about these 12, we learn in, chapter, in verse 7, right? These 12 men who seemed to be disciples. And Paul leads him to say, well, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And they said, verse 2, we've not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. We read in a moment what they were baptized or familiar with John's baptism. Verse 3, Paul said, into what then were you baptized? So you think about those key terms, believe, baptized, spirit, the disciples, all those things coming together. And, and the picture that we paint kind of tentatively, because it's not in the Bible, right, is that these folks and Paul were having some sort of conversation with those words, belief and baptism and John, and probably maybe the promise of the Messiah as John preached about the coming of the one greater than him, right? And Paul's assuming, wow, these guys know Jesus. They're, they're Christians, we would say. But then some things happen. And Paul starts to scratch his head and says, you know, what? You, you, I would paraphrase it this way. Paul says, you know, you guys seem to have the, an understanding and, 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 and know some things, but have you experienced the transforming power of God? Which goes beyond a mere head knowledge, right? And, and that leads him, I think, to this question. You know, what, did you receive the Holy Spirit? It's one of those times where maybe you have the same language and you're talking past each other. And Paul seems to understand they have a Christian understanding and they don't appear to have the power. And they say what? Into what were you baptized? Verse 3, and they say, into John's baptism. And Paul says, verse 4, John baptized in the baptism of repentance, turning away from sin, telling people to believe in him who was coming after him. That is, in Jesus. Now, you know, you, you, you probably read his first instance of, well, you know, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And you think, did they believe in Jesus without the Holy Spirit? No. 1 Corinthians 12 is very clear. You can't, you can't say Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit working in you. Neither can you say Jesus is accursed if the Holy Spirit is working in you. You, you. you can't be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. And so they were believing in something and maybe believing in a coming Messiah, but, but without this full understanding and more importantly, experience transformation that can only come when you're connected to this power, the power of God available in the Holy Spirit.
John's message, as Paul points out here, is one of repentance, acknowledging wrong. It's about turning from sin. Uh, John's message, as we read it in Luke chapter 3, is about giving wrong practices. It's about the one who is to come. And John would say and repeatedly, you know, I, I, I decrease and he must increase. He would, he was, his was a ministry of preparation pointing to. John's place was immediately to go away. That he would point to Jesus and say, look, I, I convicted you of sin. I told you like the law that you were failing in God's ways and you know you're broken in it and now what? You know? Could you imagine the horror of living in that condition for centuries? Years? I mean, even months. But God in His grace says that's the preparation. Boom, here comes the solution. You, you know you have a sin problem and that you have a need for change. You've been diagnosed, but you do not have the cure available. You've been to the doctor and you've got the rapport, but, but now what? Well, now what you need is not merely the knowledge of Jesus, but you need Jesus. You need to be connected to Jesus in a living and vital way, planted in the soil that He provides that connection that the Holy Spirit brings. And, and in fact, that is the ministry of the Holy Spirit, to connect us to Jesus. There isn't a lot. Comb through the Scriptures all the way from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. And, and the material that you'll find on the Holy Spirit is, is very small. The material you'll find on Jesus is on every page. The Holy Spirit's function and purpose is to connect us to Jesus to unite us to Jesus, that we would tap in even now as Jesus reigns and rules as the resurrected, perfect Savior and the one who is coming again, we would be able to tap into that power, into that life, into that forgiveness, into that penalty paid, into that uh, status restored, into that brokenness reconciled, that we would tap into that. And that's what the Holy Spirit is all about and we read something about this the tongues and everything and we we get distracted i haven't experienced these tongues and everything if you read through this acts we don't have time to really dig into it i keep saying that i'm sorry but we don't have time to really dig into it but you'll see that this is occasional it is not every time that people are saved that these tongues happen it didn't happen with the philippian jailer for example right it seems to happen like ripples as the holy spirit boom makes an impact there at Acts chapter 2, poured out. And then as it kind of echoes into Samaria and Acts chapter 8, and then boom, as it goes out beyond Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and starts to go out toward the ends of the earth. That, does that sound familiar? That's in Acts chapter 1. That's the whole point of the book of Acts, right? That the the experience of tongues in this particular way with the coming of the Spirit seems to be a somewhat 
one commentator says, spasmodic occurrence. You can't predict it, but looking at it, you can see a pattern. That it is testifying that what's happening is because God is at work. Because the Holy Spirit has come. And He's come not just in Jerusalem to the people descended from Abraham. He's even come to the Samaritans. He's even come to the Gentiles. He's even come to those Gentiles all the way out in Ephesus. And He's going and going and going further and further and further out because the Holy Spirit is at work transforming people, changing them from the inside out. And that, that moves forward at God's pace, even, even as we look at this passage, right? You can't predict these things. Paul tried to go to Asia, and God said no. A little while later, Paul tries to go to Asia, and God apparently said, yeah, and watch what's going to happen. Things change. We don't have that sort of insight into what God is doing and sometimes God just brings about an amazing, miraculous explosion of growth and revival. And sometimes people labor in the field for decades and see precious little fruit. And the way that you persevere in that is by first of all recognizing that it's actually character transformation is one of God's objectives. This internal growth, not merely Numbers, but maturity is what God is about. And that comes with a connection to power. It moves forward at God's own pace. And one of the things that results in, as we see throughout Acts, but especially in this section, it results in respect for all. Everyone in God's family. This Humility. You, you, you think about the background if you read through 1 Corinthians, which was written right around this time, and the division that happened very quickly in that church. Paul went there, it seems like, maybe three times. Wrote three letters, two of which we have in the Bible. Things happened there pretty quickly. that They started... To elevate certain teachers, I follow Apollos, I follow Paul. You know, they started to divide over the spiritual gifts and tongues and prophecy. And Paul writes that beautiful chapter in 1 Corinthians 13 on love. Right before he says, because you guys are prioritizing the wrong things. He says, don't get distracted. Love. If, if you're not loving one another, none of those other things matter. Right? That's the biggest transformation that comes from the Holy Spirit. And I, I wonder if that's part of what these guys didn't have, that Paul didn't see this love or this, this joy or this humility or this respect, something oozing out. We don't, we don't know. I'm guessing. But here, this is the kind of humility. You have Apollos, who we read at the end of chapter 18, is this eloquent well-educated, brought up in Alexandria. Right? This, this is a cultural mecca. Sorry for the pun there. You know, like, this is like a, a place of learning and study. And that's where he's from. And he's, he, he, he talks the talk. He walks the walk. This is an educated guy. Powerful, it says, in the Scriptures. Instructed in the ways of the Lord. 
He only knows John baptism, and he's having a tremendous impact. And then what? Priscilla and Aquila. What do we know about that? We know about nothing. They got kicked out of Rome because they were Jewish. And uh, Caesar, his name escapes me right now, blamed the Jews for several things at that point and, and kicked them out, expelled them. But we don't even know their education or their background. But here's Apollos, and they take him aside. There's respect, right? You don't rebuke him in front of everybody. You go, you take him aside, and what do they say? He was, t- <laughs> I love this, this language. Verse 25, Apollos instructed in the way of the Lord, fervent the Spirit, speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus. And then what happens? Verse 26, he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue, and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Isn't that great? You can be accurate and, 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 and on target, and you could, if you listen to people, you, you might be even more accurate and more on target. You know, he's hitting the bullseye, so to speak, right? And they're like, hey, here's even more, right? That's good. You know, you're accurate to this degree. Let's, let's get it even closer. Let's tighten it up more. And, you know, maybe it's like this. I don't know. I feel like I'm like this. You know, maybe get a little more accurate like this. There's always room to grow. Even when you're a powerful orator and eloquent person, mighty in the Scriptures, there's room to grow. And evidence of the character transformation that God brings about is that we're willing to listen, even if it's a child speaking to us. We're willing to listen, even if it's someone that we think doesn't have the credentials that warrant expertise. It's no little thing that this highly educated man, Jewish man, listens as a man and a woman, the language there is they, explain to him the way of God more accurately. This is evidence of the transformation of God. That, that, that there's growth happening. And do you realize that same transformation is happening and evidence of the Spirit when you just do something as simple as willing to admit you're wrong. And all the spouses said what? Amen, right? If you're just willing to admit you were wrong, that's evidence that God is at work. When you forgive those who have wronged you, that's powerful. When you seek forgiveness, when you ask for help, when you speak hard truth, when you respect someone else no matter their gifts or education or clothing or wardrobe or appearance or language, how, how many of you who have immigrated to the United States from another place are, are more educated than most of the people you come into contact with and you get treated like you're a moron because you have an accent, right? That's, that's, that's a sad truth, right? People assume because your skill in the language isn't as great as theirs that you're not as smart. That ought not to be in the church, of course, right? And what, the, what all of this, as I look at these things, what, what, what is evidence of the Holy Spirit transforming our character and being at work that we are connected to Jesus is that we push through those things. That we say stupid things to one another. 
that we speak insensitively and we offend one another, but instead of cutting off and separating, we persevere. We engage and continue to push through and overcome those barriers. Not one of us can do that on our own, brothers and sisters. We have to cry out for the Spirit, and when it happens, hallelujah, it's evidence. More powerful than any bunch of tongues popping out of our mouths. How much more powerful and authentic is it when you experience these types of interactions as God's Spirit brings about character transformation? We can't neglect the second part. But I do feel like that part, the character transformation, is something that it's easy for us to lose sight of. Right? We, we, we jump to the commands and, you know, I, I need to do this. What character transformation is about is about changing who you are. And there needs to be a fundamental change deep down that only the Holy Spirit can bring, right? That you come from death to life. That you come from a hard, stony heart to a new heart of flesh. That you come from rebellion to submission to God. That you come from eyes closed to eyes open, from lost to found. All of these metaphors saying that God does something fundamentally profound in you that now opens up your capacity to grow and learn. It's fundamentally a humbling and a, and a, and a, and a breaking down of our hearts, is it not? Breaking down the resistance that one of God's first victories in every person's life has to be over their own heart. Before you try to claim victory for healing or victory for uh, your ultimate destination, you, he, God needs to conquer your heart. And that only comes by the Spirit's power. And it brings with it immediate transformation. You know, from my personal experience, God zapped several things over a period of three months as I read the Scriptures and the Spirit's working on me and I'm hearing people share the Gospel with me. Boom! Somewhere in that period, I'm like broken over my sin, broken all these things, and God just took away language issues. God took away the temptations I had for alcohol. God lopped off a lot of the pride but left a lot of room for improvement. God did any number of things, and He doesn't work that way in everyone, right? But man, when the Holy Spirit comes, there's transformation. And some of you experienced that as a child, very young. Don't feel guilty, praise the Lord, that, that you did not know those times. And don't doubt God's work if you are interested in your own character transformation. Because you're not going to be interested in that if the Spirit's not working. You're not going to be really be open to it if the Spirit is not working. You're not going to be broken before God and care what He thinks and about your eternal destiny uh, and, and what He says in His Word or come and hear preaching or be with God's people even when you want to stay home. All those things, right? That's not going to happen unless the Holy Spirit's working in you. Persevere. Don't give up. God is about character transformation and, secondly, 
and briefly, content transmission. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, just so you know, because we don't have, this is not really a barrier, I don't think, in this church and in our particular Christian culture, that we know the Word of God is, is important. There is substance to the faith, in other words. There's this content. There's material that, what, is taught and learned. You're sitting here listening to a sermon. I, I would hope it's because you think there's content that needs to be transmitted. That we learn in a community as the Spirit works in our midst, right? You see that throughout Acts. Uh, we, if you just, maybe, maybe your homework this week, read chapter 20 and just notice all the times it uses words about speaking some sort of content. That there is some substance being, Paul says, you know, it says Paul talked, declared, teach, testify, proclaim, speak, admonish. That's just in Acts 20. It's all throughout, right? There is content. Paul speaks of, uh, or Paul is tasked with strengthening the disciples. We read that in chapter 18, verse 23. He went around strengthening, where does it say it? All the disciples at the end of verse 23. That, that word for strengthening has the sense of affirming up, solidifying, strengthening, making more firm and unchanging in attitude or belief bringing about greater conviction of the truth. More and more solidifying in the heart. This is what is right. This is what matters. No matter what the world says, no matter what my feelings are telling me, no matter the pressures around me, this, this is what's right. And we need to grow in that, right? Uh, you, see, you see the content transmission with that interaction with Apollos, Priscilla, and Aquila. Right? There is a way of God that is de declared, that is from the Scriptures, these powerful in it. And there's a content that they are explaining and pulling it, and all of it is rooted in the Scriptures. Luke's premise in writing the book of Acts as the second volume of his Luke-Acts collection is that what? Luke chapter 1, verse 2 or verse 1, Luke chapter 1, uh, many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the beginning, eyewitnesses and servants of the word. It seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. There is... There is a content, right? There is substance to the faith. And so that means what? Both teaching and learning are expected. Teaching and learning. How many times as you read through the, the later books of Paul, the pastoral epistles, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus, do you hear him saying, you know, entrust these truths to faithful men who will likewise teach others? Right, this handing down, this concept of a stewardship, that there is substance. You know, we're not making this stuff up. It's here. It has been here, and it is true and lasting, a firm foundation. 
In fact, if you read through 2 Timothy in chapter 2, Paul seems to be saying in the middle of chapter 2, verse 15 to 17, that if you're not rooted and, 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 and learning, you're going to engage in worldly chatter and emptiness and further ungodliness. It, it is only, he tells Timothy, as you show yourself approved, a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed, accurately handing the word of truth, that's how you avoid worldly and empty chatter. It's how you avoid divisiveness. It's how you avoid going off the rails into more and more ungodliness and spreading, and spreading, he says, like gangrene, eroding the body. Right? So what's, what is it we're transmitting? It's not just, well, I feel and I think there's a place for that. There is a place for that. And, and there is a need for going deeper and for being willing to listen. Well, I hear you thinking that, and I understand you could feel that. What does God say in his word that leads you to that conclusion, right? That's where we're going. There's a content that we transmit. This is one of the reasons in the early church, you know, they, they emphasized catechesis to a fault, right? They, would, they, would, they wanted people almost to be fully mature Christians before they were even baptized. That's not right. Okay, that's overboard, but I feel like we've gone totally the other way. They're pretty much, if you want to learn, it's okay. You know, there's maybe somewhere in the middle where, where we're all committed to learning and to growing. And, and one of the ways the church has typically done this is through catechisms, questions and answers, you know, this seemed to, to flourish, especially in the 1600s. In the, in the Reformation, the early phase of the Reformation, it's kind of like this sapling, right? There's this new growth, all this revival, and it's like, woo, let's learn. Everybody's on board. Right? So there's this momentum, and then it's like, you know, it peters out. Early church, same thing. Well, let's learn. You know, they, 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 they develop these questions, you know, and, and a lot of times all that stuff happens in the midst of heresies and conflict. It's like, well, let's distill down. What do we actually believe? What does God say? One of the things I would like us to do is, is, is have this commitment, and I think we do. It's why I'm not spending nearly as much time on this portion. And one of the things I'd like for us to do is, is maybe we expand beyond just the Apostles' Creed, which is great. It's a great creed. I, I, I really like the Heidelberg Catechism. It's got some wonderful questions like, what is your only comfort in life and in death? You know what the answer is? It's long. Just the beginning is that I am not my own. I'm bought with the precious blood of Jesus. There's more, way more to it. But like, and there's proof text for all that, right? There's scripture behind it. How comforting to the soul is that? It feeds and strengthens and, and roots us, you know? So we, we learn, we teach. Because here's the thing. The content transmission, the character transformation, right? The substance, there's teaching, learning. All of it comes together, and the greatest power, the greatest power, the greatest power comes as character and content align. Is that not part of the attraction 
of Jesus to the whole world, right? People will venerate Jesus because he's got the character and the content. They come together. Even without the Holy Spirit, they can appreciate, wow, that's really powerful stuff. That guy is amazing. You know what, brothers and sisters? If you are focused on the character issues and yielding to the Holy Spirit that you would be transformed and you begin to speak even the tiniest bit of the content, that power shows up. Don't, don't give in to the, the lie and the misunderstanding that would say that the powerful community is about perfection, right? That we have to present this polished and shiny image to the world. That's not it. The powerful community comes as you persevere. That's where your character is really demonstrated. That's where the content really comes into play. As we deal with the challenges of life, as we enter in just to the everyday struggles, when you say something stupid and hurtful to your children, do you go back later and say, I'm sorry, I was totally irritated about something else. Will you forgive me? You know, when someone comes with, with criticism, how do you take it? When you know you have to say the hard thing, how do you do it? Well, I've experienced, in the last couple of weeks, I've experienced about all of those things, giving and receiving, right? I've needed forgiveness. And I've had to extend forgiveness. I've said the wrong things. I've failed to do the right thing. I've wanted to flee and never go back. And the only thing that turns me around is the Holy Spirit hammering and hammering and making me miserable, convicting me of sin and not leaving me there, but saying, Jesus, Jesus. This is, this is why Jesus came, Mike. This is why Jesus came, because you actually and really do need Him. And if you want His power, you're not going to find it running away from where He is. He's in the hardships. He's in the brokennesses. He's in the places where you need to persevere. Don't give up. I would say to our Camp Treasure Island volunteers this week, stuff will happen. Like you'll have to get up tomorrow morning and know you're coming in, right? Look for God to meet you there. Persevere. Don't give up. And when you go home the next day, don't worry about coming back until the next morning when you wake up and pray, Lord, come. Others of you much more serious circumstances, just struggles, brokennesses, people that, that you feel like you could never see them change, circumstances that are just overwhelming. God is there. God is building a community. And, and maybe part of what you need is, is other people. Just find one person, reach out to them, say, I'm I'm struggling. Maybe, maybe what you need is introspection. Lord, is, is there somewhere in my character you are trying to work? 
Maybe, maybe you need to get back to the content, the transmission of it. Maybe there's stuff that God is, is wanting to show you in His Word and you just haven't cracked it open because you're thinking, I've got to have this big long list and I've got to start the, the reading plan and I, I'll just never finish it. Just start small. One of my favorite preachers, wonderful, amazing preacher, sound. He was a seminary professor. And I cracked open his book that was basically his intro class to new members. And he said to people, if you are new in the faith, read the Bible, but not that much. And he said, just read five minutes. Just read five minutes, open to what the Spirit will say, open to what God is doing. Just read five minutes. You can find five minutes. Just read for five minutes. Pray that God will work. You know, the thing is, you get worked on in the that, in that five minutes. When you take the focus off of you and you allow the Holy Spirit to do His work, you say, look, I'll give you five, I'll give you five minutes, God. Work. It's, it takes time, though. The power sometimes comes quickly. It sometimes takes a long time. But a community of character and content is a place where the Holy Spirit is at work in and through it, and there will be impact. Because that's what God does. We pray with you. Lord Jesus, would you, you encourage those today who, who, who are too introspective beating themselves up, would you remind them of the content that Jesus paid their debt? Would you be at work in the hearts of those whose maybe minds understand your scriptures, but there is the experience of the Spirit missing? Would you pour out your Spirit upon them? And in all of us, O oh Lord, would you as a community, be powerfully at work in us and through us. I pray that you would transform us. Give us more capacity for love. And, oh Lord, give us eyes to see when we do love. When we do simple things like admitting we're wrong, when we do things like forgiving one another, when we have the hard conversations, when we just get up in the morning and keep our commitments, Lord, let us praise and thank you because that is you at work giving such grace and mercy to us that we have another breath here in this life as just evidence of your grace and your mercy. Oh Lord, let, the, let us rejoice in that. Father, we, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.